Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to jump right into this message today. I want to uh, prepare us to kind of get stirred up and prepare us to maybe meet a challenge today that I believe the Holy Spirit's bringing us. And I want to start out with a statement that I've made throughout the years. And that statement is this, you can know the Bible inside and out from Genesis to Revelation, but if you don't know who you are, you will never prosper in this life. You need to know who you are uh, in relationship to what the Word of God says, but you also need to know who you are on the inside. We need to know who you're dealing with. And how many of you feel like sometimes that you're dealing with one person on the outside, another person on the inside. How many know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, uh, it kind of gets uncomfortable sometimes. And so <clears throat> we need to know what triggers us. We need to know the weaknesses that we're going to need to avoid. And we also need to know what pushes our buttons. Because when we are ignorant of who we are on the inside, then we become vulnerable to the enemy's attack. The enemy will always try to take advantage of what you don't know about you. What do I mean by that? Have you ever had a situation happen where all of a sudden you have a very emotional response, or I shouldn't say response, a reaction to something, and then later on you sit back and you go like, why, why did that bother me that much? Why did it hit that kind of a nerve? Why did something that should have required maybe this much of a response got like this much of a reaction? Like what, what's going on inside? I don't know about you, but I, I think about these things from time to time. And those are indications that there's unsettledness. There's indications that there's maybe areas on the inside that maybe we haven't submitted to the Lord yet. And the things that we might be entertaining that are not true. Uh, there could be indications of woundings and, and hurts from the past that are unresolved, things uh, unresolved issues. And, and the important thing is that if we're not at least willing to let God show us what's we, what we're like on the inside, then we set ourselves up for the enemy. And, and, you know, there's certain things that he will exploit. There's certain areas of our life that he'll try to take advantage of that are going to cause us harm and cause us to be defeated. Now, equally as important, we need to know who we are now in Christ. Because you are a new creation in Christ. Amen? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have made a declaration of faith in, in Him, that you believe that He's the Son of God, that you believe that He died on the cross to pay for our sins, and you believe that God raised Him from the dead, and that's your, that's your statement of faith, and, and in, in making that statement, you have invited the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord and be your Savior. At that point, when you're a believer, the Bible says that we are a new creation. Our spirit on the inside comes alive unto God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it this way. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people unto him. So we exist here on this earth. Not just to enjoy life. Not just to enjoy our relationship with God. But it's also that in knowing who we are in Christ and knowing the giftings and the talents that he's placed on the inside of us, that we will use those to reach other people just like God used somebody to reach us. Amen? Amen. So, let me ask you this question. Having become a new creation, I'm assuming that you are. Having become a new creation, are you aware of the benefits that have been obtained for you? Are you aware of the authority that, that we possess as believers? Do you know, are you mindful of who he has made you to be now, or I should say recreated you to be, 
and what giftings that Christ has blessed you with. Are you aware of that? What I'm trying to get to here this morning and what I want to concentrate on and focus on these next few minutes that we're together is this. Who are you on the inside? Are you aware of the areas that need to be worked on? But also, are you aware of what has already been deposited in you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to take us to a really peculiar story that's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, and it kind of sets, sets the stage for this message. I want to take you to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. I want to start in verse 51. It's talking about Jesus. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up, in other words, as it got closer to the point in time when he would go to the cross, would be crucified, would die, would be buried, and then resurrected, at that point in the history of his ministry, that he set himself steadfast to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he's heading to Jerusalem now. This is the final wrap-up of his ministry here on the earth. And in doing that, verse 52 says that he sent messengers before his face, in other words, ahead of him. And as they went, they'd enter into a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Now, who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans, without going into a lot of time here, the Samaritans were a group of individuals. It was a, uh, a national group that existed in the northern part of Israel. They're not really Jews, but they're not really pagans. They're kind of a mixed breed uh, people group. They are the result of, of something that happened hundreds of years before when the Babylonians came in and kind of took over uh, that area of Israel. They deported the people that lived. They deported the Jews from that area and brought them to, their, uh, to a place in Babylon uh, with a different culture, different gods, all this other stuff. And they took people that they had conquered in other parts of their empire and resettled them there in northern Israel. And so those individuals began to intermarry. Some of the Jews ended up coming back, but they were not following 100% of the law of Moses and Judaism as it was prescribed for them. They're really a mixed breed of people. And so there was a lot of conflict between the Samaritan people and the Jews of Jerusalem, and the Jews and the rest of Israel. And so... Uh, they didn't get along together. There was a lot of discrimination, a lot of prejudice between them. They didn't, they didn't commingle. They didn't get involved with each other. And here Jesus now is approaching one of the villages that's made up primarily of these people. And so we see here, he sent messengers to that village to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. In other words, they're like, oh, you go to Jerusalem, that's what you're all about. You're one of them. We don't want anything to do with you. All right? Now, verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, <clears throat> excuse me, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven to consume them, just as Elijah did? I mean, this is what you do when you go to a village and they don't receive you. You threaten to nuke the village. <laughs> Obviously, up until this point, they had not yet heard Jesus' command. That by the love that you have one for another, all men will know that you're my disciples. They, they are insulted. They uh, are mindful of their, their Savior, uh, their Lord. And they, they are like, are you guys going to treat him like this? Okay, well, guess what? We're going to destroy you all. And um, this is where we come into this story here. I want us to really focus in on. Okay? This village disrespects Jesus. James and John saw this, so obviously they saw something demonstrative. They saw some outward expression of disrespect, and they're not going to stand for this. And so they said, they turned to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They're not just, they don't just want a demonstration. <laughs> they want to completely nuke this area, okay? 
And so Jesus turns to them and rebukes them. And rebuke is kind of a fancy word to say, just, you know, what are you thinking? It's a corrective term. He turned and rebuked them and said, now listen to this, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now what just happened here? What did we witness? Remember I tell you, when you read the Bible, put yourself in the story. Put yourself on the scene. Now I think it's interesting. Jesus' response to their reaction is, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. In other words, they're responding to this offense to Jesus, but they're responding with the wrong heart motive. Now, this could have been for a lot of different reasons. They may have wanted to impress Jesus. It could be that they were overprotective of Jesus. But I suspect it was probably more of a pride issue. They probably developed this mindset as like, oh, you respect our master? You disrespected him is like disrespecting us. And so they took it personal. But he said to them, you don't know who you are on the inside. Now, I want you to notice this here, okay? I don't know, maybe it's just me. I notice these things. Kind of read in between the lines here. Watch this now. He did not say to them that they were not capable of calling down the fire. He didn't say they didn't have that ability. He didn't say they didn't have that power. What did he say to them? You don't know what you're made of on the inside. In other words, you have the ability to produce supernatural results, but your heart motive is wrong. That's a problem. Now, many believers live and die and never know the power that they have on the inside of them because they don't know what manner of spirit they are. We, now listen to me, I'm not defending them. I'm not endorsing what they wanted to do. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus never said you're not capable of doing that. So, so they had an awareness of power that they had tapped into. Unfortunately, they did not have an awareness of his mission. And he has to remind them, I didn't come here to destroy people. My God, if he came here to destroy those who rejected him and disrespected him, there would hardly be any people on the earth today. He came to save lives, not to destroy them. And if he was going to have to endure some disrespect and some rejection and some humiliation to do it, he was prepared to do that. And obviously he was, because that's exactly what we see demonstrated at the cross. Complete rejection, humiliation, brutalization, just horribly treated. But he knew, I'm going to have to do this in order to accomplish salvation. But let's backtrack a little bit here. I want to keep coming back to this statement. He said to them, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, you don't really know where this power is coming from. You don't really know the force behind it. And you and I need to know that power that we have within us. 
you and I need to know, and we need to walk in a balance in this life of being very much aware of our weaknesses and very much aware of the areas where we still need to submit to God. And there's some of the things in our life, some of the issues, some of the uh, things that have gotten a hold of us. We, we, need, we need to be very much aware of those things. But, but, but by the same token, we also need to be very much aware of who we are in Christ and what abilities we have as Christians, as believers, how that He has deposited His Spirit in us. And because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we are capable of doing much more than what we think we are. Now listen, Jesus is baptized, right? And then immediately after His baptism, the Holy Spirit leads Him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You're familiar with the story. The, the devil comes to him three different times, three different temptations. Well, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it tells us, Now when the devil had ended every, every temptation, he departed from him. He departs from Jesus for, until an opportune time. And he's going to come back in the future. But look at verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the what? In the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. What happened here? He's led by the Holy Spirit into this, place, into this time of temptation. He's led by the Holy Spirit into this wilderness, and he spends 40 days there. Towards the end, the enemy comes to tempt him. Jesus is successful in resisting those temptations and turning them back on Satan. And then it says that he walked out of that and the power of the Holy Spirit. Can, can I ask you this question? What spirit are you walking in? Uh, who are you on the inside? Uh, let's just be 100% honest with each other, okay? Let's just be real transparent today. Every one of us have an outside and we have an inside. The outside is who we present to the world, who we present to one another, who we even try to present to God sometimes. But the person we are on the inside is the real person. Now, that can be good and that can be bad. If we'll allow the Holy Spirit to come and shine the light on the inside, and this is a very personal thing between you and God, if we'll get to the place where we'll allow the Holy Spirit to come and just say, oh, just show me, show me what's going on on the inside. Show me who I am on the inside. If we'll be honest enough, then the Holy Spirit, in love, will come and say, okay, well, this area here needs to get worked on. And you see this area here? You used to believe right here, but something came in and you're not believing the same as you used to. And you know, over here, this area here we used to be really on fire about, you've kind of let the flame burn down a little bit. Now, he, that voice never comes in judgment and condemnation. It always comes in love with the motive of cooperating with us to get those areas where they're supposed to be. But it requires honesty. Now that same Holy Spirit will also make you aware of who you are on the inside in Christ. You see, on the inside of us, there are those areas that have been redeemed and renewed by the Word of God, but there's also those areas that are still in need of renewal and still in need of being submitted to God the Father and allowing the Word of God to rule and reign in those areas rather than our flesh, rather than our own desires. But if we'll do that, He'll bring us up to a different level. So, so this whole thing today is about becoming aware of who we really are on the inside and what we're capable of. Now, mind you, I want to bring this back to you. The disciples did not suffer from a lack of awareness 
that they had tapped into something very supernatural in their relationship with Jesus. What they were unaware of was the true heart of his mission. And unfortunately, there are many of us in this world as Christians that walk around very, very aware of having tapped into something supernatural, but many of us are very sadly unaware of the motive of his mission. And so sometimes we use the word of God as a sword to cut and to punish and to divide rather than allowing the love of God to heal and to bring together and to unify. But you need to know who you are on the inside. What manner of spirit are you? Now, I want to take you to another story in the Old Testament to kind of like see the other side of this. At the end of the 40 years of the Israelites' journey from Egypt, having come from Egypt and heading towards the Promised Land, there are only two people left out of the original millions who departed Egypt that stood out. They stood out because of the spirit that they displayed. Every other person from the age 20 and older, those who were 20 and older when they left Egypt, every one of those individuals, millions, perished, died before they got to the Promised Land. Only two of the original people who crossed the Red Sea got to go into the Promised Land. Their names were Joshua and Caleb. They displayed something different than the rest of that group. I want to pick up here in Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Which I am giving to the children of Israel. He was not saying, go look at the land to see whether it's going to be possible. He said, I want you to go see the land that I am giving to the children of Israel. It's theirs. They've just got to walk in it. Amen? So the instruction is, I want you to take one person from each tribe, one man, everyone a leader among them. I want you to take 12 men, one from each one of the tribes, and I want you to send them into that land, and I want them to see the land that I've already given to them. Amen? Amen. Verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now that time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Verse 23, Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. Are you getting this picture? I mean, we just bought some grapes at the supermarket and they look like little marbles. These grapes, had each one of them had to be the size of a basketball. And it says they cut down one branch with one cluster and it was so heavy and so big that two guys have to put it on a pole and carry it on their shoulders. This is the type of land that God was giving them. This land that was so rich and so productive and just lush. Just, you could grow anything there. That's how productive it was. And, so the, and they also brought back pomegranates and figs. If the grapes were that big, I can only imagine with the pomegranates. And the place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster. Eshcol means cluster. Because of the cluster the men of Israel cut down there. 
And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Let's see what the result is. Verse 26, Then they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel, which would be anywhere from two to two and a half to three million people. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Verse 28 is when everything starts to turn bad. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites. In other words, all of our enemies are scattered all throughout this land. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb, Caleb pops up now, verse 30, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. But the men who had got up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Can they get any more dramatic? Can they, can they exaggerate any more than this? And the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants the descendants of Anak who come from the giants and they were like grass and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight what do we have here this is what happens typically when some of us are either ignorant of who our god is ignorant of what he's deposited in us unaware of the power that he's placed in our lives Forget about his promises that he's with us always. Forget about the fact that he already said to them, wherever you put your feet, wherever your feet trod upon, I'm giving it to you already. Forget about the promise that he already gave this land to them. He didn't send them there to come back with this kind of report. But yet, out of the 12, two came back with the report of, let's go. 10, however, came back with the report, we can't do this. Isn't it typical about us when we allow fear to grip our hearts, when we're facing some type of adversity and we allow fear to come in and that fear takes hold of us and paralyzes us and then the next thing we know, what do we start speaking? We start exaggerating the circumstance that that we're facing. They said, the land that we pass through devours its inhabitants. Where did they even get that from? Do you mean to tell me they walked through a land and saw the land open up and swallow people? Where did they get this from? Now, what ends up happening is this now. Because Caleb rises up immediately, right? And says, no, let's go now. Let's go now before everybody gets affected by what these people just said. Let's go now, because we are well able. He's thinking, we got God on our side. Now, watch this now. Every single one of these individuals that are hearing this message, and every single one of those 12 spies, every single one walked through the Red Sea. They saw the miracles of God. They saw God provide water for them. They saw God provide food for them. They saw the enemies be defeated right before their eyes. They saw the most powerful empire in the world up to that point, humbled by 10 plagues that God sent. They saw this. But what happened? They forgot what manner of spirit they were. They didn't hold on to the knowledge that they had. They didn't even hold on to the experiences that they had, that had gone through already. 
And they came to the conclusion, they're too strong for us, they're too many for us, we can't take this land, and the, if you read the context of the rest of the story, it tells us that the entire nation of Israel, except for Joshua and Caleb, spent the entire night crying and welling out to God. Why did you bring us this far? Why didn't you let us just die in Egypt? They better thank God I wasn't God. I would have said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> but what happened here? Caleb and Joshua held on to everything that they seen God do. They held on to the promises of God. They did not forget. They were very much aware of who they were on the inside. They were very much aware of what God was willing to do through them to bring his plan to pass. Can I ask you this question? What kind of spirit are you made of? Are you a Joshua? Are you a Caleb? You know, when somebody refers to a person and say, you know what, they got a spirit of Joshua on them. That tells me something about that person. You see, because Joshua is a man who can defeat armies, but he's also tenderhearted enough to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Are you that kind of person? Are you a Caleb? We're going to find out a little bit more about this man before we wrap up this message today. Are you a Caleb? Are you the type that says, don't listen to this negativity. Don't listen to this stuff. Let's go now. He's, he's urging him. Get your weapons. Let's go. Let's go right now. Why? Because he realized if this report gets in the hearts of the rest of this nation, we're finished. And we find out that's exactly what happened. And that's why God had to allow, had to allow every individual that had walked out of Egypt, except for Joshua and Caleb, every single one of them died in the wilderness. Exactly what they said. We're not strong enough. We can't overtake them. We would have been better off dying in Egypt. Are you that kind of person that gives that message and deflates everyone? Or are you the kind of person that goes, no, 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 we can do this, we can do this. And you start quoting what God says about the situation. Caleb was reminding them of everything God had already said. No, we are able. He's with us. We are more than enough to face this adversity. He's already given it to us. All we've got to do is walk in it. All we've got to do is go take hold of it. Isn't it just like salvation? Isn't it just like all the promises of God? They're revealed to us. They're given to us. They're promised to us. But you've got to take them. It just doesn't fall out of the sky and hit you in the head. How do we take them? Well, we don't take them by marching in and defeating some army. We take them by faith. We express a life of faith, a life of trust, that if God said he's going to do it, he's going to bring it to pass. If he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, then you can be guaranteed he's with you no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going to face in the future. There is never a time that you or I are alone. Amen? So let's, let's wrap this up here. Let's find out what happens here. Okay? Because we've got a situation on our hands here. We've got two different groups of individuals. We've got the disciples who are very much aware of the power, <laughs> but they don't have a clue of the heart that Jesus has. Then we've got a group of people who've watched and witnessed so many miracles. And yet when it comes time for them to step out, it's like they got amnesia. They've completely forgotten who they are. And they are afraid to take a step. There's an answer to this. 
And it's found for us in 2 Timothy chapter 1. See, because you've got to know what spirit you, you have, and you've got to know what spirit you don't have. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says this, For God has not given us a what? A spirit of what? Fear. But of power and of love and of what? Sound mind. Now watch this now. We have the spirit of power in us because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Yes? We have the love of God in us because of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came into our lives, according to Romans chapter 5, it says that He came and shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. So we've got the power and we've got the love. When we use the power with the motive of love, then what's the end result? Sound mind. If you're very much aware of the power, but you, don't, you just don't like people, or you're gonna, you want to use the power for glory for yourself, guess what? You're not walking in soundness of mind. There's no stability in your life. The disciples were very much aware of the power. But they come to a conclusion that has no stability in it. They want to destroy this village. The Israelites are very much aware of the promises of God. Yet they have no sense of the power that has been placed upon their lives. That he has empowered them to go and take this land. And so what happens? They make a decision that has, brings no stability to the nation of Israel. They literally, from this point on, are going to wander for the next 40 years. They came to the brink of the promise of God. They looked at it, and they came to the human conclusion. We are not strong enough, yet all the time God has been saying to them, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. You are strong. I am going to defeat your enemies. I've already given this land to you. I've, I set this land up. I caused them to build cities so that you can live in. I caused them to plant orchards and vineyards that you're going to be able to eat that you never had to plant. You're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig. He had it all laid out for them, completely turnkey. And they got to the brink of it and then turned back. Now, in Joshua chapter 14, we pick up 45 years later. Joshua is dividing the land amongst all the tribes now. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've crossed the Jordan. They're in the promised land. They've defeated some of the enemies. And now it's up to Joshua to fulfill Moses' promise. And he's going to split up the land. And watch what happens. Joshua chapter 14. Caleb is talking. Who's Caleb? Caleb was the one that said, don't listen to these guys. Get your weapons. Let's go right now and go take that land. We are able. And he was shut down. Here's Joshua's account. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. How would you like to be known throughout the rest of eternity? These are the people who made the entire nation of Israel melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden, in other words, wherever you put your feet, shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly or completely or entirely or with a committed heart followed the Lord my God. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. He said these 45 years ever since. The Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And as yet I am as strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me. 
Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. Do you hear what he's saying? He's like, I've been waiting for this battle for 45 years. He said, I'm as strong now as I was then. I'm, I, my, so now is my strength for war. He's not even saying I'm going to go in and move. No, he knows he's got a fight on his hands. And he goes, both for going out and coming in. In other words, I'm walking into this battle, but guess what? I'm going to finish it and I'm going to walk out. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, the giants, were there. That the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of whoever that is, as an inheritance. What, what happened here? What happened here? Look at, look at, watch me now, watch me now. Put yourself in this picture. Put yourself on the scene. Okay? The entire nation of Israel, whoever's there now that's going to go into the land, is present as Joshua is splitting up the land and portions it out to different tribes. And then Caleb steps up, knowing that it's only him and Joshua, the original group that came out of Egypt. And Caleb comes up and goes, Joshua, you remember that day when we came back as spies and Moses and we told everybody, we told Moses, yeah, yeah, there's mountains, yeah, there's giants, yeah, the cities are fortified, but we're well able. You remember everybody else shut us down? Well, guess what? Give me that mountain. And I guarantee you, Joshua went like this. Oh, wait a minute, Caleb. There's giants in those mountains. And he said, yeah, and I've been waiting 45 years to have this fight. Give me the mountain. At 85 years old, Caleb conquers this mountain full of giants, conquers the cities there with strong, fortified cities, and takes that land at 85 years old. How did he do it? Because he knew what manner of spirit he was. Let me ask you this question. We're going to get out of here in about 30 seconds. What kind of spirit are you? Are you, are you like the Israelites? When a challenge comes, when adversity comes, are you the one that demoralizes everybody around you? Are you the one that's proving why it can't be done? Are you the one that's always looking for the excuses? Or are you like Caleb? Come on, let's do it. We can do this. God said we can do this. We've got his promise in the word. We can do this. Let's do it now. What spirit are you? Are you, are you like the disciples? Where you're aware of the power that's in you, but you still haven't caught the real message that that power is not to be used for your glory, that power is not to be used to build your little kingdom, that power is to be used to bring the love of God to groups of people who do not know him yet. This is an important message, and I'll tell you why, okay? Because God is getting ready to do something very, very impacting in this world. And he's gonna do it through the church. The church on earth is who God works through now. But that church is made up of people. And those people have got to know what manner of spirit they are. You've got to know who you are, and you've got to know, and you've got to be very much aware of your weaknesses. You've got to be very much aware of them. I don't mean to obsess over. I mean so that you can, as you're aware of these weaknesses, that you can bring them to God and say, Lord, I'm submitting these to you. I didn't realize I still had this in me. I thought I was done here. I thought this issue, this problem, this, this, this thing was done in my life, but I'm recognizing it's trying to creep back in. So Lord, here, can, can, I want to bring this back to you. But you're also going to have to be very much aware by the Holy Spirit who you are in Christ 
and that you have the same spirit in you that raised Jesus from the dead and that you are capable of doing everything that God said a believer is capable of. You are capable of leading people to Christ. You are capable of laying your hands on the sick and see them recover. You are capable of having God work miracles through you. You are capable because of the manner of spirit that you have on the inside of you. It's not about you, it's about who's inside you. That is the church that God wants to use in this season. Amen? Stand up, please. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that this message remains in our hearts, Father, and that you would even uh, uh, build on the foundation that we've established today, Father. And I pray, Lord, out of this group here, out of this congregation, out of this local church, Father, that you will draw out a group of people who are willing to be honest and open and transparent before you. That we would come to you, Father, and ask you, Lord, examine us. Show us the things that we still need to bring to you and submit to you. Show us the areas in our lives, Father, where there's unresolved issues. Because we, we don't want any of that in our lives, Father, to, to, to just pull on us and to stumble us and to hinder us from operating in who you said we are in Christ. Father, open up our eyes and make us aware of what manner of spirit we are of. So we not be ignorant, Father. Show us through your word, Father, and give us opportunities, Lord God, to be able to step out in faith and allow your power to work through us to affect the lives of others. Father, we present ourselves to you here today. We make ourselves transparent before you and vulnerable to you so that you can come in and do the work that you need to do in our lives. Father, I pray that you continue this work in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.